Good morning. Welcome to church. Uh, there was there's way more of you in this minus uh, 25 weather than I thought there would be. So way to go. Give yourselves a round of applause. You, you made it. You made it. Um, we are continuing our, store, our series called Chasing Carrots, the continual pursuit, the endless pursuit of more. Uh, and so this whole idea of chasing carrots, I mentioned it last week. Last week, uh, we, we looked at the, the carrot of being famous, which is, uh, which is more prevalent now in our culture than at any point in history because fame is just at our fingertips with, uh, with, how, uh, with the internet world and things going viral. And, and it was just a temptation to have many followers, many likes, all that kind of stuff. And we are uh, this morning looking at the carrot of money and stuff. And what does this phrase mean, chasing carrots? And I didn't mention last week, but just to, just to remind you, uh, apparently back in the day, uh, to get a donkey or a mule to, to move forward, often uh, the person who was riding the donkey would actually hold a carrot out in front of the donkey, and then the donkey would just keep chasing the carrot. It would, it would f- try and get to that carrot, and it would never be able to reach it, but it would just keep moving. And, uh, and so this phrase, chasing carrots, is is in uh, reference to this continual pursuit and chasing of something that you can't ever quite grasp. That, me, that thing that we have as human beings that's, that says, if I could just have that, if I, if I could just get a hold of that thing, then I, I could finally be satisfied. If I get a hold of that, I could finally be happy. If I could have that thing, then I'll finally be content. Then I'll finally have peace in my life if I could just grab that thing. And so we chase these carrots, and we, we go, and we go, and we go, and we find that we, ever, we never can quite grasp the actual thing that we're looking for. And so we're not fulfilled. We're not satisfied. And uh, those carrots don't quite deliver on the promises that they give us. And money and stuff uh, is one of those carrots, particularly in our place in the world at this time in history. I mean, money and stuff has always been a thing. Uh, but it continues to be a thing. And how many of you would say honestly that you wouldn't mind being rich? I get, like, I'd like to be rich. I'd like, give me a shot at it. I think I could be rich than, better than other people are rich. You know, how many of you look at people that are rich and you're like, they're not rich very good. If I was rich, if I had that kind of money, I, kn- I know how I'd be rich. How many of you would say that you know someone that's rich? You know someone that's rich. How many of you would say, hey, here we go, just be real honest here, that, that you are really, really, really rich? See a couple of sheepish hands go up in the air, okay. Almost all of you would say, well, I'm not rich, but if I were to ask you, I think all of you would want to be rich, and because we have this desire to be rich, what happens after that is we end up pursuing more stuff more money because we have this desire to be rich, to have more. You know, there's a radio station in the States that asked this question, what would you do for $5 million? What would you do for $5 million? And this is what people respond with. Five, 54% said that they, they would listen to country music for the rest of their life. <laughs> I'm sorry, I bow to that one. That one is not, not worth $5 million. 42% would say that they ha- would have all of their teeth removed for five million dollars no problem do that maybe get replaced with the gold grill come on 24 percent of people said that they would live in solitude for the next 20 years of their life anybody here that would live in solitude for the next 20 years of their life for five million dollars 
The introvert, introverts here are like, that's a win-win. Come on. That's a... 50% said that they would allow one random person in the world to die for $5 million. 50% of people. That's astounding. And Gallup did a poll and interviewed a lot of people to find out uh, what is rich? What would you consider rich? And those people that had an annual income of $30,000 a year on average said, if I could make $74,000 a year, $74,000 a year, that's what I would consider rich. If I had $74,000, uh, then I could kind of live life comfortably, pay for the things I need to pay for, and, and be content. Uh, $74,000, that's rich. That's, that would be enough. People that were making an annual income of $50,000 uh, this American a year, uh, we're, we're asked, what would you consider to be rich? What, what would you need to kind of be happy, to be content? And they said, $100,000. If I had $100,000, then I would be rich. Then I could cover my expenses. Then I could live comfortably. I could be at peace, and, and I wouldn't have stress. Uh, and there was, there's lots of us that would say, well, you know, you might make $100,000. And you said, you know, $100,000 doesn't go quite as much as, you th as far as you think, after you get your mortgage, uh, your car payments, your kids are in, in school and you're paying for sports, and all of a sudden that $100,000 is gone. And so top income earners were asked, you know, those who are making uh, well into the six figures, uh, how much would you need to be considered to rich? And they said uh, $5 million. $5 million in assets. If I had $5 million in assets... You know, then I could live, I could be mortgage-free, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't have to worry about uh, expenses, and I could, you know, just be at peace and be comfortable. You know, those poor suckers that only have $2 million in assets, they, they are stuck. And so what, what we find is that being rich is actually a moving line. There's, there's no definite line that says, hey, this is the point where you're rich, and then from here on out, you're not rich. I mean, you, you could... I could talk to every single one of you, and you would have a line that would say, you know, if I could just have this much. If I could have that much, then I'd be content. If I could, if I could get there, then I'd have enough stuff, then I could be content, and it's a moving line. And, uh, you know, if you're anything like me, you, you could maybe attest to, maybe years ago you were saying, you know, if I could make this much money. And I remember starting at SunWest, and I, and I was making like this intern salary, and I said, like, you know, if I could just, if I could make this, you know, that base level pastoral salary, if I could just kind of get to that base level then, uh, then I would be content. Then I would, I would have enough. You know, and then you cross that line, you get there, you're like, I don't know, I, it just doesn't feel like I have enough. If I could just get there, then I'd have enough. You know, and then you make that much money, you're like, ah, I, you know, it didn't, it didn't quite give me the contentment and the security that I was hoping for. I, I actually think I need to make this much more. And that line keeps moving and moving and moving. And my guess is that that is part of your story. You don't ever feel like you have enough. The line moved. You crossed that line. And then as you cross that line, you realize that line didn't stay where it was. It moved again. And you're chasing it. What do you need to be happy? What do you need to be rich? What do you need to feel satisfied? And I don't know what that specific number is for you, but I bet you the answer is just a little bit more. If I could just have a little bit more. And we find that we're chasing a carrot. And that carrot just eludes us. We can't ever quite get it. And in fact, in Scripture, this is written 
like 3,000 years ago, and it says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That was written 3,000 years ago. That could be written today. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You know, the, the Bible has a, a word to describe this, and, and that word is idolatry. And you might think, oh, we don't have idols today. You know, we don't, you know, make, you know, golden calves and bow down to those things. But idols is simply any secondary thing or temporal thing that we make an ultimate thing. And over and over again in the biblical story, we see that idols can never deliver on the, their promises. They can't ever give you the things that we actually long for. And if you watch commercials on TV, I used to do this when I was a youth pastor. We, you know, every couple of years we would, uh, we would watch commercials together in the youth group, and, and we'd ask the question, what are they actually selling? You know, Axe deodorant. They're not selling you Axe deodorant. They're selling you... You get to date a hot girl if you wear axiom. That's what they're selling you. They're, they're, they're selling you popularity. You know, if you watch the car commercial, what are they selling you? They're not selling you a car. They're selling you this adventurous life that is just like so peaceful riding in the mountains. You know, they're, they're selling you something else. And, and if you pay attention to those commercials, they're all selling you the same thing. They're selling you purpose. They're selling you significance. They're selling you happiness. They're selling you uh, love. They're selling you belonging. All of these core human emotions that, that's what they're selling you. And we often look to these carrots, we look to money, we look to stuff, and we say, you know, if I could just get that, then I could be significant. Then I could be comfortable. Then I could have purpose. And we've actually made an idol of money and stuff, and we're looking to these things to deliver only what God can actually give us. This is why Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, watch out. And then again, he says, be on your guard. Why? Because greed is sneaky. Greed is sneaky. That's why the line always moves. You, you, you always, you don't ever think you're greedy. You don't ever think you have enough. You know, we're always playing the comparison game and we're comparing what we have always against somebody that has more than us. And greed is deceptive. If I could just get more. If I could just get more. And so Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. It's very sneaky. And so Jesus' message to us about money and stuff is that life is not measured by the volume of stuff. Your life, your zoe life, which that word life, is a, it means fulfilled, purpose-filled life is not measured by the volume of your stuff. And if we contrast that with, with culture's message, our culture says, what you don't have is what you need. What do I really need? Well, it's probably that thing I don't have. And so we always live in this perpetual posture of wanting more, of pursuing more. So after Jesus told the crowds to watch out, to be on their guard. So he's speaking to the, these crowds. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all types of greed. It's deceptive. It's sneaky. You don't, have, you don't really know you're, you're becoming greedy, but it just happens to you. Then he told this story in Luke chapter 12. He said, the, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I will store 
my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This farm has a record year. What am I going to do with all my stuff, with all my crops? I've got all this money coming in. I don't know what to do. I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to, you know, get this big retirement account. I'm going to, uh, you know, finally, you know, travel to where I want to travel to. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to throw lots of parties. I'm going to finally live the life that I wanted to live. And God says, you fool. You're a fool. And here's what's fascinating about the story. God wasn't angry and God wasn't upset that this man was rich. In fact, who made the man rich? I think Jesus picked the farmer on purpose because the, the, his wealth and his richness, it says, came from the land. You know, God made him rich. God provided for his needs. And so God wasn't upset that he was rich. God made him rich. God was upset that he was he was disappointed because this man was rich in the things of this world, but he was not rich in the things that mattered most. Jesus is saying, your priorities are completely out of whack. You're actually rich in the things of this world, but you're not rich towards the things of God. So I want to tell you some bad news and some good news this morning. What do you want first, bad news or good news? Bad news too bad. Good news is first in my notes. So we're going. It was going to work out really well if you said the good news. But, uh... So here's the good news. You're rich. I asked you earlier if, I, if, you, if you thought you were rich, and there was a couple people that said, uh, I'm rich. And then everybody else was like, nope, I'm not rich. You don't feel rich because often we got more bills than we have money to pay. Often because we just feel like we need a little bit more, like I said. But here's the news. Here's the good news, is that you are rich. A little bit of perspective for you. Three billion or so people in this world live on less than $2 a day. Some of you spent $5 on your coffee on the way to church. Less than $2 a day. You're rich. You can often tell just how rich you are by the things that frustrate you the most. Man, that set of shoes I ordered on Amazon. I ordered them like three days ago, and they're not even here yet. Ugh. Man, can you believe McDonald's? They didn't include the honey mustard sauce in my chicken nuggets. It's so frustrating. I got to go get my money back. And I forgot, I forgot my AirPods. It's so annoying. I got to hold my phone up to my face as I talk on the phone. That sucks. Man, Netflix wouldn't connect to Wi-Fi. What's wrong with Telus? You get on the phone and the and the and the Wi-Fi is not working. How many of you have had that happen before? You're like, ugh. Come on. You're flying through a chair in space, right? Complaining about not having internet as you're flying through the air. Like, like perspective, perspective. You, you can tell how rich you are by the things that we get annoyed and frustrated with. I can play a song, any song in the world, on my device whenever I want to play it. I can stream any movie I want. I can, if I'm bored with the, 
whatever the latest game is I'm playing, I can download a new game and play a different game. When I get hungry and when you get hungry, we can get in our car, which by the way puts you already in the upper 15% of the most wealthiest people on the planet. And you drive by one restaurant, three restaurants, five restaurants, ten re you, you drive by 15 restaurants just to get to the one that you prefer, that you have, you know, an inkling for in that moment. And you sit down at this restaurant, and there's someone else out there that, you know, farmed a cow for you, cut it up, or caught a fish, or cut off the head of the chicken, and they got a cook that prepares it for you, brings it out on a plate for you with you know, garnished and presented really well, and we get annoyed because it took 20 minutes to get there. That's how rich most of us are. And the reason I'm talking about that is because, like I said, greed is, per greed is deceptive. Greed is deceptive. And most of us have bought on this lie that we, we aren't rich enough, that we don't have a, enough stuff, that we're not quite there. And if we take a step back, we realize that we are rich. That's the good news, is that you're rich. Now, I know some of you right now have significant challenges, financial challenges, and I, uh, you have significant debt, and I'm not trying to belittle that. And, and I, uh, you know, maybe you're, you're a single parent and you're just working hard to, you know, to keep food on the table, and, and those are situations that do exist in our world, and I'm not trying to diminish that or those situations, but overall, the vast majority of us that are sitting in this room are incredibly wealthy and incredibly rich, and you don't think you are. So, I'd like everybody in this room just to say, I'm rich. Sometimes we feel like ashamed about that, but God blesses us with abundance. God blesses us with good gifts. And so denying that is actually denying this heart of thankfulness towards God who has provided for you. Let's say it one more time. Say, I'm rich. That's the good news. You're rich. And Ecclesiastes says, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. Be thankful. Be happy. God gives wealth. And I say, well, God didn't give me anything. I worked for everything that I have. I've worked hard. You know, I went to school. I, you know, I built this thing from the ground. I built this business from the ground up. I, nobody handed me anything. Listen, by the very nature of where you were born at this time in history, at this, this part of the world, in this city, the opportunity to have education, the opportunities that you've been afforded, you did not choose that. Those were things that we are born into. We are very, very rich. You know, I, I have, uh, you know, in our house, we, we've had to watch this because sometimes you, you can have this, what I would call a poverty spirit that, that kind of creeps in. And you, and you can start thinking that you don't have enough. You don't have enough. And, and it shows up in parenting, right? When your kids are like, hey, can we get this or can we get that? And, and a, a really easy default answer is just to say, we don't have enough money for that. The reality is you do have enough money for that, but uh, we need to switch from a poverty mentality to a values mentality. And to be able to communicate with our kids Actually, we're choosing not to do that because this is our values. We're choosing, you know, maybe not to go to Disneyland this year because we are actually choosing to do this with our money this year. And I think many of us could, could afford a mental shift from a poverty spirit, poverty mentality of always thinking we don't have enough and recognize, no, we have, we have plenty. We have more than enough. 
but all of us have made value decisions on how we're going to spend that money. And can we learn how to talk in a value way instead of in a, in a, in a posture of poverty? Okay, here's the bad news. You're rich. It's the good news and it's the bad news. And this is a bad news. This is, this is a significant spiritual disadvantage. And I mentioned this story last week, but there's a story in Scripture of this rich young ruler who says to Jesus, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, this, this quantitative and qualitative life, this full life today and forever, what do I need to do to get that? And Jesus says, have you obeyed all the commandments? Yeah, you know, all of them. Like all the, you know, those main Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments, I've been doing them all. And Jesus said, there's still one thing that you lack. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And Jesus knew the man's heart. Jesus knew exactly what it was, exactly what carrot was in front of him that he was chasing, that he was more concerned about. And, and so Jesus names it and says, you know, get rid of it. And then the scripture says, at this the man's face became sad and he walked away. Because he was very wealthy. And then Jesus made the statement. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through, think of how small that eye of the needle is, to, to go through the eye of a needle for, than for a rich man to enter, to enter the kingdom of God. Luckily, Jesus said, all things are possible with God. Right, so this isn't an impossibility, but what he's saying, he's using this hyperbole and saying, this is how challenging it is. If you are someone who has great wealth, it is very difficult to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're rich, and that's a spiritual disadvantage. Why is it a spiritual disadvantage? Because you already have a roof over your head. Because you already have a pantry full of food. Because you can have everything that you need. Most of you haven't had to pray this prayer of, Really, give me my daily bread. Maybe you've had seasons where you're not quite sure where your food's coming from or how you're going to pay certain bills. But we do not typically live in the state of wondering where the next paycheck's coming from, the next, the next meal is coming from, if we're going to have a roof over our head at night. And so we live in dependency, or in, we live with independency. We don't need to be dependent on God. We don't need to ask God for things. And so it's a spiritual disadvantage. It's a spiritual disadvantage. We don't need to be dependent on God. It's also a spiritual disadvantage because we're distracted. You know, more money, more problems, right? That's what, isn't that what the, the hip-hop artists say? More money, more problems. <laughs> I'm not, not usually my jam. Uh, but, hey, but the truth remains the truth remains, more money, more problems, because you got more money, now you have more options. More money, more choices. More money, more stuff to manage. Now you're worried about more security, because you got more stuff that you're worried about. More money, busier schedules. And so we become distracted with money and stuff, and it becomes a spiritual advantage, because our focus actually can't be on God and the things that matter, because we filled our life with so many other things that we're focused on. You don't believe me? Visit a developing nation. Go on one of our trips. Go to Mexico. Go to El Salvador. And I guarantee you, this is what will happen. Day number one, you'll, you'll show up. Colton just mentioned we're, uh, about the Mexico trip coming up. You're going to drive into Tijuana. And if you haven't been in Tijuana before, day number one, you're going to be shocked. 
You're going to feel so much sorrow and so much compassion for the people that you see. You're going to contrast how they're living with how you're living, and you're going to say, how do they do it? And you're going to recognize that your perspective has been really warped. And you're going you're to have this sorrow. You're going to have this compassion. You're going to have these emotions. That will be day one. By day number three, day number four, you're going to find and realize that the people down there have something that you don't have. They have time. They have more time than you. They have a richness in relationships that you long for but don't have. Many of them have faith in God, and there's a richness to their faith that, that you're going to uh, realize that you don't have and that you long for. And by day number five, you might start to find a small part of yourself becoming jealous of their simplicity, of their intimacy, of their love for one another, of their faith in God, of their ability to be content with so little. And by, na- by day number five, you realize that you came down there not to help them, but they're actually helping you. That's what happens. It's a spiritual disadvantage to have so much money and stuff. And the Bible is very clear that to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, God expects more from us if we have more. There's a greater responsibility if you have wealth. Every moment of every day, our culture shouts, you don't have what you need. I don't have what I need. You don't have what you need. What you don't have, that thing that you don't have, that's the thing that you need. That TV, that new phone, that brand new purse, that, those speakers, that car, that whatever that thing is, that's the thing that you need. And it starts to rob us of true life. That's why Jesus says, be, uh, be on your guard, watch out. Life doesn't consist in the volume of stuff and the abundance of stuff. We know that in our heads, but the problem is our lifestyles don't often reflect that truth. If I get that, if I could just have that thing... And I'll finally be happy. Whenever we believe that, whenever we believe that money and stuff can, can provide us these intangible things, we need to recognize that we've fallen under the curse of money, under the curse of stuff. That we've actually made an idol out of those things. And I may not know you, but I, you know, I could take a pretty good guess that you have made an idol out of something out of money or out of stuff or out of chasing something because this is the world that we live in. This is the water that we swim in. It's an idol. It won't deliver. And here's the truth is that more money, more money is not going to help your kids stay off of drugs. More money is not going to heal your cancer. More money is not going to save your marriage. More money is not going to make your depression go away. I don't think what we need in our life is more money. What we need in our life is more things that are eternal. What we need in our life is the kingdom of God. What we need in our life is actually more Jesus. We're chasing these temporal things that can't deliver their promise and ignoring the very real truth that's in front of us, that the kingdom of God is at hand. 
what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Can you reach out? Can you, you can take it if you want it. At the end of Jesus' section, he's talking about money and stuff. You're in Luke chapter 12. He says this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What does the kingdom of God mean? The, the kingdom of God literally means the reign of God. The reign of God. When God is in charge, what does the world look like? When God's values are the values we live in, how does that look? When God's heart is reflected in our heart, what does that look like? Seek first the kingdom of God, the heart of God. And he will give you everything you need. This is what Jesus tells us. Make that your first priority. Don't stop chasing that carrot. Seek first God's heart, God's kingdom, God's reign in your life. Make Jesus king of your life first overall. And then when you do that, God actually provides for everything that you need. Does that mean you're going to get every stuff that's on, uh, that you're dreaming about, that you want, that you're chasing? No, it means that God's actually going to transform your heart. You're going to live with a level of contentment, a level of peace, a level of security, a level of priority, a level of, of purpose that you didn't have before because you've made the main thing the main thing. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their ho hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what? Our enjoyment. So here, here's the deal. You're, the good news was you're rich. The bad news was you're rich. But don't feel guilty about having wealth. Don't feel guilty about having wealth. God provided it for your enjoyment. Don't feel guilty, but do feel responsible. Do feel responsible. Paul goes on to say this. Command them to, be, to do good, the wealthy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way. Okay, so how do, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? How do we make God priority? Be rich in good deeds. Do good. Be generous. Be willing to share in this way. They will lay treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. They would take hold of life that is truly life. So many of us are taking hold of life that is not life-giving at all. It just causes more stress. It causes more anxiety. It's not actually giving us life. And you know that in your head, but yet we still chase the carrot. Take hold of life that is truly life. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Take hold of it. Go grab it. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, it's right there. You know, a, a number of years ago, and I was looking at these, these old photos, family photos, and I mean, this is probably 10 years ago. Uh, my oldest son, Joel, uh, there he is. We're at, we're at the zoo. And... Uh, and we gave him a zoo map, and he just, it was like, he loved this thing. You know, they had the zoo map, they got the pictures of all the animals, and he became our zoo guide for the day. And we said, Joel, where do you want to go? He, was, he would look at the map, he's like, the lions. He's like, let's go to the lions. I'm like, okay. And so we take the map, and we walk over to the lions, and I'd be like, check out the lions, Joel. And he's like, uh, the gorillas. Let's go to the gorillas. I'm like, hey, dude, like, get your head out of the map, the those lions from Africa are right there. He's like, gorillas, Dad, gorillas. And, I'm, and so we go to the gorillas. And, and then we, you know, we went to the, you know, whatever was next. We went to the elephants. We went to the, and we just walked around the zoo. 
and he's got his map out looking at these pictures of animals that he thinks are awesome, but he's not at all interested in the real thing. Hey, Joel, those giraffes, they're, they're right there. He's like, this map, man, this map is awesome. As a, as a dad, I'm like, buddy, you're missing, you're missing the real thing. It's, it's like right there in front of you. And you think that this map is, you think that this map is all there is. And I, I just have this picture of us like walking around and it's like, you know, I got hold of this life. You know, I, I got the thing, I, you know. And, and God's like, hello. Like there's, there's a life beyond that map right there, like right there. And you're distracted by what's right here. Our Heavenly Father, and, and he's like, you know, I'll let you be the guide. I'll let you kind of dictate where you want to go, what you want to see. And, you know, you want that? Yeah, you can pursue that. And then, but he's like, you're so distracted. You're missing the real thing. It's, it's right there. We've got these things in our hands and we're gripping them. We've got these carrots that we're chasing and we're totally oblivious that this thing has become the thing and the thing that we thought was the thing is actually robbing us from the real thing. Jesus says, be on your guard. Watch out. And it's not like the map is bad, but the map is distracting us. It's distracting me. It's distracting you. The rich young ruler had his map in his hands and he... You know, he, had, he was just gripping it with both hands, and Jesus said, let go of it. It's like, well, I'd rather not go to the zoo and just take my map home. Jesus wanted to show him what eternal life was, but he wasn't willing to take hold of it because he wasn't willing to let go of what he had his hands on. So I want to invite you, in light of our richness being the good news and also being the bad news, to respond with me in a bit of a public reading, a public response. So would you read these words with me? God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. But I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. I want to read it one more time, and I want you to read it with a little bit more conviction. I know it's a cold Sunday morning. Let's read it one more time together. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. But I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. Amen. May that be our response, our posture, our prayer as individuals, but also as a church. God has blessed us as a community of people and we're rich. With that becomes great responsibility. Because of that, we will do more, and give more. We will do good. We will be rich in good deeds. We will be generous, willing to share. We will take hold of life that is truly life. May you do something that matters, something that is eternal. Maybe you want to help pay for a, bill, a friend's bill anonymously. Maybe you want to help someone move, grab boxes. Maybe you want to sign up for SunWest Servants, which is an email list of people that uh, provide practically for the needs of people in our community. Maybe you want to serve on a team. Maybe you should go uh, uh, serve, uh, serve on a team at SunWest or serve outside of SunWest at a local mission like the Mustard Seed, or we have an ELL program, uh, or we, like I mentioned, we have SunWest Servants. Maybe you want to do something that is outside of yourself that is giving in generosity 
towards others. If you're struggling with your finances, we have a group that we run most semesters called uh, Biblical Groundwork, and they would help you to get on top of your finances and out of debt. Maybe that's the first step that you need to take in order to be generous, in order to be rich in good works. Maybe if you've never tithed before, this might be a great opportunity to step forward in faith and, and start trying to give and tithe. Maybe you want to give an offering Beyond your tithe. Maybe you want to, sa- to save that money and go to a Mexico trip. Go to an El Salvador trip and you'll find you gave up a week of your, uh, of your holidays, you paid your own money, and you came away and you'll realize that was probably the best week of your life. Because you thought you went to serve, but you came back full. You came back full of life that is truly life. Often when you're in places like Mexico, if something incredible happens... And I know what happens in El Salvador too, where these families that are living, these, these statistics that we talked about on less than $2 a day, you show up and you got a team of 15, 18 people, and they give you this meal, the best Mexican tacos you've ever had, carne asado tacos, they got, they got the meat all out there. And you talk to them, and then you, you take a little bit of perspective, recognize what did, it, what did it cost them to put that food out for you. And they actually went maybe a couple of months without eating any meat so that you could come and eat meat. They sacrificed significantly so that we could have a little bit of enjoyment by eating that taco. I remember one year on the Mexico trip, there was a family that did something like that. You know, they provided us a food, a meal, sacrificially. And then at the end of, the, at the end of our time there that week, uh, the lady of the house came and gave me this picture. Uh, and, uh, and we had a translator there. I can't remember if it was Sam uh, or... Normal translator, Sam, we might have had a, the translator there before Sam. Uh, but she came and she gave me this, this picture. And I said, what is this? Uh, and then I listened to her story. And she had lived in southern Mexico. And her, uh, she had lost all of her family. Her house had burnt down. She came to Tijuana to be closer to the American border to find a better life for herself. The only thing left from her previous life was this picture. She came to Tijuana with this picture. This picture was from her prayer room that she had in her house where she would pray to God. And she came and said, I want you to have this. Uh, And I didn't want to take it. And you think, you little greedy, how could you take that from her? Trust me, I I tried to leave it. I, I said, I cannot... I cannot take that from you. Uh, and she insisted, and the translator, uh, they're familiar with the, the, the culture, uh, said, if you do not take this from her, it would be a great offense to her. And so I, I took it. The only thing she had from her previous life, you know, I'd take it back to my pile of stuff back in Canada. After we had simply just put a roof over her head, The generosity broke me. And I, I keep that picture around 
And it's, a, it's, it's really not a very pleasant-looking frame or picture. My, my, I had it out, and my kids, Silas looked at it this morning, uh, and he said, uh, he said, oh, he's like, I can't look at that. That's, that's frightening, he said. Uh, and every time I, I look at that, I'm, I'm reminded of the generosity that, that this lady had, the perspective that she gave me, and how that broke my heart. And it's in these little moments that we realize that she is representing the gospel to us. Not only did she give me this picture of Jesus, but she was being Jesus with flesh on. This God who became man, who sacrificed himself and paid it all for us so that we could be rich. He was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. And our only appropriate response is, is to be thankful, to loosen our grip, to stop chasing that carrot, and to take hold of the life that is truly life, the kingdom of God that is at hand. And let Jesus be king, let Jesus reign, and let his heart become our heart, let his priorities become our priorities, and live from that posture of thankfulness and generosity. I want to invite you to stand as we close this morning, respond in worship and song to this God who was rich but became poor for your sake so that we could take hold of life that is truly life. The good news is that you're rich. The bad news is that you're rich. The only appropriate response to a God who was rich became poor so that you and I could be rich in the things that really matter is to respond to him in thankfulness to respond for him to him in surrender to give lordship and kingship of our lives not from what the world says we should have or what I want but what God wants for me you know often on Sunday we talk about worship and worship is singing songs Worship is proclaiming verbally you know, truths about God. But also when the, when the scriptures talk about worship, they talk about uh, those words are actually explaining physical posture. And the language of worship is actually a language of physical posture. And to, to get down on one's knees has actually always historically been a posture of thankfulness and surrender. And I don't know you and your story, but I know because of the world that we live in that money and stuff is a carrot that many of us chase. And I believe that God is calling some of you maybe to respond in a posture of humility, a posture of thankfulness, a posture of surrender, a posture that says, you know what, I'm done chasing that carrot. I want to take hold of the kingdom of God that is at hand. I want Jesus to reign in my life. And we have space here. And I, I've asked the band to, to play the song a little bit longer. And I invite you to find some. We've got space at the front. You can come kneel at the front or you can turn around in your chair. Uh, you don't have to. But if you feel like the Lord is calling you to respond, not just by singing a song, 
but by a physical response to take hold of the kingdom of God that is at hand. I would invite you to take that posture of thankfulness and surrender and say, Jesus, you paid it all. All to you I owe. You who were rich became poor so that I could be rich. So as the, as the band continues to play, I would invite you to find space if you feel led to do so and just respond to God in a physical posture of surrender to, to come to your knees if you're able. Say, all to you I owe. And then I'll come back up and pray to close. Jesus, we just say thank you for your blessings. We say thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the material stuff that in the eternal scheme of things doesn't really matter, but you have blessed us with. Thank you for the eternal things that you have blessed us with. Lord, that you've given us life that is truly life. That you've given us forgiveness. That you have given us grace. That you've given us belonging. That you have given us the opportunity to be part of the family of God. Lord, we say thank you. Lord, we say sorry. We say sorry for the way that we chase these carrots, this stuff, thinking that it's going to give us something that it won't because you've placed eternity in our hearts and we were made for more than that. So we say sorry for chasing that stuff. And Lord, we say yes. We say yes to choosing to grab hold of the life that is truly life, to stop chasing and to grab hold of the kingdom of God which you have placed before us, to say yes to you reigning in our life, to say yes to the things that break your hearts, may they break ours. To say yes to the things that you say yes to. Lord, that is what we want to be about. That is what we want to be about. Amen. After the service, uh, we have prayer teams available. If you're uh, someone who has maybe said yes to Jesus for the very first time this morning, or you would like to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, and to take hold of the kingdom of God that is at hand, I would invite you to come forward. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to take that next step with you. Um, if there's anything else you would like prayer for, uh, maybe a family situation, anything relational, or maybe there, uh, you're, you're in need of some physical healing, we'd love to pray for you about that as well. Uh, go in peace. A starting point week two is happening after uh, church, but go in peace. Stop chasing those carrots and take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen.